it's your first time with us today, my name is Lee Gilligan, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Meadowbrook, and uh, it's always a humbling thing and an exciting thing to be able to step up and fill, um, fill the pulpit for Pastor Tim. He's actually, uh, probably at one point this morning, has been a part of the internet audience. So at every service, I've had everyone say, and I want you to help me do this, we love you, Pastor Tim. We love Just in case, you know. He, whenever he's away, he always has trouble completely detaching. And that's kind of the downfall of us having a church app because we could be at dinner and he's got his phone and he's like watching Sarah. So (laughs) he he was here for one of them, 8.30, 10 or 11.30, but just in case, I figured we'd cover it. He's actually out in Dallas, Texas, uh, visiting some friends out there um, at Gateway Church. And it's good for him sometimes now uh, to just rest and to be ministered to. And so I'm glad he can do that. And I'm glad that I can be here with you guys today. Y'all look good. You happy to be here? I, I felt like I looked good when I showed up, and then first service, my uh, cousin's husband said, if that tie were any skinnier, it would be a shoelace. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I'm a skinny kind of guy. I, you know, I, I kind of just got to own it, got to work it. So, but it, it's good to be here with you today. I love what God is doing here at Meadowbrook. I love uh, just the momentum that's taking place, the growth we're seeing, the life change. Um, it's just an exciting thing to be a part of. And, and, and one of my favorite things to do is every, uh, every service, we, we have new families with us. And to go out there in the hallway and you see them come in. And we talk about our VIP welcome areas, you know, the people with the blue shirts that welcome people on their way in. I love seeing them go up to a new family and welcome them and then help them get all their kids checked into their classes. Because around here, we don't just do ministry well in here. We do it well from kids all the way up. We have ministry for the whole family. And, and, and your kids are taken good care of from the time they're babies to the time they're adults. And, and so that's, that's an exciting thing. I'm grateful for that because not a lot of churches have that. And, and my, my boy, Gavin, he's three. And y'all have heard me talk about him and Cora, if you've been here before. And she's four months. And he's at that age where his, his mind is just a sponge. Everything you say, everything you do, everything he sees, he remembers, he repeats. So it's good because it challenges us to watch what we say. And then it's also good because I can find out what he's learning in class. He'll come home and I realize he's already learning about the word of God. He he came home and, buddy, what did you learn? God loves me. Another week, what did you learn, buddy? I must remember his word. And he says it like that because they take the kids and they have them repeat those things. And so the other day we were on the couch and we were looking at a book or something and there was a, a picture of Jesus and, and his stripes on his back. And he goes, what happened to Jesus? And I said, I, did, I didn't really know what to say to, that he could grasp. And so I just said, he got a boo-boo. <laughs> That's all I had. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, but he lives again. <laughs> and I, it's cool because I didn't, I didn't teach him that. He's learning that here. He's getting fed already at such a young age. And so that's, that's a, a cool thing to see. Well, if you've been here at all with us over the last eight weeks, we have been in a series called Brave. And I honestly believe this has been one of the, uh, one of the best teachings Pastor Tim has taught over recent years. It's just been very challenging, and I believe it's very timely because of where we're at as a church. He's been challenging us to be better. He's, each week he's issued us a specific dare, a dare to step across the line in some area of our priorities or our convictions or the way we lead our lives. He's called us to be better through these series of dares. And I kind of want to recap some of those dares. He, he dared us to love. He dared us to stop judging and to judge ourselves. 
He dared us to forgive. He dared us to believe. He dared the men specifically to step up and to be men of God. He dared us to have convictions. He dared us to not just worship, but to be worshipers. And then last week, one of my favorites, he dared us to cheer up. He dared us to be happy. And so this week, I feel like the dare that I have for you holds more weight and has more implications for your life than any of the other dares that have been issued. I believe in the grand scheme, this one would stand out bigger, maybe the most challenging. And he actually doesn't even know that I'm doing this today. I just felt that this was the direction I should go. And so today, I want to issue you this dare. Are you ready? Okay, I'm totally not daring you to do anything. (laughs) I just kind of wanted to draw you in and make sure I had your attention. Pastor Tim leaves big enough shoes already to fill in the pulpit. I'm not about to mess with one of his better series. (laughs) So if I were to dare you to do anything, I would dare you to do this. Listen up for the next 25 minutes, all right? There's your dare. He'll... He'll be back next Sunday, week nine of Brave, uh, issuing that last dare. And uh, I promise you, you don't want to miss it. It really will be uh, probably the most challenging one that he's given to us thus far. But today I'm I'm teaching a standalone message. And it's no crazy title. It's nothing too deep. It's it's actually pretty simple. And I believe it's something that each and every one of us um, can relate to. Each and every one of us wants to hear. It's something we can apply to our lives. And this is what I want you to know. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Whether you have been serving him your whole life or whether you walked through the doors today for the first time in a church and you don't know what you believe, whether you are extremely successful in your career or maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're on the front row, maybe you're on the back row, maybe you're red, yellow, black, white, maybe you're young, maybe you're old, maybe you are in college and you have no clue what you want to do. Or maybe you're in a career where you're kind of frustrated and it's just a dead end. Maybe you feel completely worthless. Well, I want you to know, God wants to use you. I love watching children. Children dream and they exercise their imagination and they're full of aspiration and they look at the world as their playground. There's nothing that they think they can't do. If they want to be it, they, they pretend it, they dress up, they, they exercise their imaginations and call it naivety, call it innocence. I, I think it's that childlike faith that Jesus was talking about. But kids dream big. They dream big. Every one of us has, has been a child at once and, and there was probably something that we longed to be where now we think, how did I ever think I could be that? But when you're little, it's so real and you believe you can be anything. Do we have any astronauts in the, in the house today? few astronauts, um, professional wrestlers, okay, uh, supermodels, <laughs> uh, Hollywood actors, all right, all right, we got a few. I, I'm going to do this. On the count of three, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to yell out whatever it is that you most aspire to be. One, two, three. I didn't get any of that. First service, uh, Pastor Ron wanted to be an Indian. Someone over here wanted to be Superman. But <laughs> So I know for me, one of the things I wanted to be was a rock star. I mean, who does not want to be a rock star, okay? Now there, that's me on the left, rocking out. And as you can see, I get my rock nature from my father. There he is, a long time ago. 
in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> rocking out. And then, and then who, who wanted to be an adventurer? I know I loved adventure. I loved adventure. There's, there's Pastor Tim, and he's an army man. And then on the right, that's me and my brother Josh, and we were dressed up as cowboys. Now, as you can see, my facial hair was a lot darker and thicker back then. I guess it just came with the adventure. Maybe you're the type that you've watched um, the X Games on TV, and you thought, you know what, I, I would love to go into extreme sports. Extreme sports would be awesome. Well, there's me and my father. That was our short-lived career in extreme sports. And I want you to notice, there's actually quite a lot of volume to his hair there. He, he often talks about how his bangs fell out. Well, let me let you in on the secret. They actually blew clean out. We were pretty extreme. And then some of you, maybe you wanted to be a, a preacher. Maybe you wanted to be a pastor. Here I am with my father. He's helping me uh, prepare my first sermon. And then there on the right, I'm delivering it. You may have heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what's happening there. But just kidding. Y'all, y'all get what I'm trying to say. Kids dream. Kids play make-believe. But it's not make-believe to them. They believe they can be anything. And then somewhere along the way, I think that you start to grow up. You become more aware of reality. You realize the circumstances aren't always perfect. Peer pressure comes into play. Puberty. All the things that life throws at you. You grow up. You, you pick a career path. You're in school. There's just so many things. And somewhere along the way, we start... Uh, to forget what it's like to dream. We stop dreaming. We, we lose sight of maybe some passions that we had when we were younger. And I want to let you know today that you can keep dreaming. We serve a God who's a God of big dreams. I believe he has big plans and big dreams for you. And just because you might have lost sight of that, and I'm not saying you have to be like, well, should I be an astronaut? Is that what you're saying? That's not what I mean. But what I mean is we still can dream. We still can look at the world and realize we can be whatever it is that God is calling us to be. I think every one of us wants to know that we were made for something special. To know that we were used while we were on this earth. That we somehow impacted people around us for the better. That we made a difference. That people were better because of something that we did. All of us want that. And God wants to use us in a big way. But the thing that stops us from being used by God is not God. I think it's often us. It's the way we view ourselves. It's the way we view, the way we lead our lives. And we somehow look at ourselves and we think, you know what, I'm too flawed. I'm too messed up. I'm too imperfect. I'm not good enough. How could God ever use this? How could he ever use me? But I, got, I have some good news for you, okay? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Every one of us were sinners. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now that's not necessarily the good news, but the good news is this. It's an even playing field. We're all imperfect. We're all, we're all a work in progress, okay? And the, the real good news comes here, and this is probably one of the most famous pieces of Scripture, John three sixteen and 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's good news. He knew we were sinners, but yet he came and he died in our place and he saved us. He didn't come to judge us. He didn't come to condemn us and to say, you know what? You're too messed up. I can't use you. No, he came to save us. That was what he came to do. And so I want to play a little word game with you. God, first of all, he's not surprised by your sin. And and I'm going to show you what I mean. 
I say a noun, you say the corresponding verb or action for that. So, for example, if I said preachers, you would say preach. preach. Okay, so preachers. Are we warmed up? Are we ready to go? All right. Hunters. Swimmers. Golfers. Or at least try to. Um, and sinners. Hey, give yourselves a round of applause. Sinners sin. So God's not surprised by that. We have a sinful, fallen nature. We're going to mess up. That's just the world that we live in, okay? I know a, a, a good friend here in the church. He's actually on staff. A lot of you may know him. His name is Bert Thomas. And Bert is a man's man. He's a hunter. He will hunt every chance he can get. And so if someone were to come in and say, you're not going to believe this. I was outside, and Bert just pulled up in his truck, and he's been hunting. I'm not surprised by that. Bert's a hunter. Hunters hunt. He's the epitome of a hunter. Well, we're sinners. Sinners sin. It doesn't catch God off guard. I want to use a little illustration to kind of further put this into perspective. If you've ever visited a third world country, or you've ever at least seen footage of one, their driving conditions are nothing like ours. Horrible roads, horrible cars. They don't have the laws and the rules that we have. It doesn't look near as safe. But guess what country has the highest rate of automobile collisions? Right here, the good old U.S. of A. And, and, it, and it's not because of population. I really believe it's, it's because of this. Over there, people are used to that kind of driving. They're not used to having nice roads, nice cars, laws that they follow. They're kind of in a defensive nature when they drive because they're ready for anything. Over here, we good law-abiding citizens, we, we drive our cars in the lanes. We follow the rules of the road. We, we do everything we can. And then... We expect other people to do the same. So when they come flying out of their lane and cut us off, or they rear end us, or whatever it is, we are thrown off guard. We're surprised by that. Why? Because we expected them to stay in the lanes. We expect them to follow the rules. Well, God's not expecting us to get it perfect. He's not expecting that we're necessarily always going to keep it in the lanes. And so he's not caught off guard or surprised by our sins. He has unconditional love and acceptance for each and every one of us. He accepts us for who we are. And that's not because of anything we've done or could do, but that's solely based on who he is. It's just the kind of God he is. He accepts you and he loves you right where you're at. Now the news gets better. God uses unlikely candidates. When you go back and you look at scripture and you look at some of the most famous stories and famous names in the Bible, we realize that God uses flawed, imperfect people all the time to do his will here on the earth, to do big things. He uses imperfect people. He doesn't use perfect people. Why? Because there are no perfect people. That's a myth. Maybe you walked in today and you uh, feel, you you may be like, all these church people, they've got it together. They're so perfect. No one's gone through what I've gone through or done what I've done. No one can relate to my situation. I want to let you know right now, this is not a house of condemnation. This is a house of grace and a house of truth. This is not a hall of fame for saints. This is a hospital for the broken. Ministry is people repair. Every one of us is a work in progress. And maybe our sins aren't the same, but we all sin. We all mess up. And we're just in this together, striving to follow God. And so know that you're not in a church that's for perfect people. In fact, if you find a perfect church, please don't join it. Because then it won't be perfect anymore, okay? (laughs) There, There are no perfect people. Unlikely people. God uses them all the time. And and he'll use people that don't always look how we think they should look, act how we think they should act, sound, whatever. They usually, he uses people, it's like, I would never have considered that person. But look at King David in the Bible. 
and when he was called into ministry. And we'll see from the very get-go, he was disqualified by his own family. So if his own family wasn't even considering him, he himself surely wasn't looking at himself to be used by what God was calling him to do. Now I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 6 through 13. And Samuel is going to anoint the new king, and he goes to the house of Jesse. And when he arrives, Jesse has on display his strongest and his most qualified sons. In fact, he hasn't even called in David. David is out in the field. We're going to pick up in verse 6. It says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all of the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had, had him brought in. He was glowing with wealth and had a fine, or, or, sorry, with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So David's a boy. He's out, he's out in the pasture watching the sheep. His own family didn't consider him. So surely he did not consider himself called by God to be the next king. And so maybe there's a lot of us right now. There's something just around the corner that God wants to use you to do. And you're not even considering it because you look at yourself as disqualified or unlikely or imperfect. But God uses unlikely people. And just because David was then anointed of the Lord to be the next king, it wasn't all smooth sailing from there on out. David, uh, he, he committed adultery, and he covered the act of adultery with murder. And I mean, th- that's a pretty big deal. But scripture refers to David as a man after God's own heart. He was the king. He was a psalmist. God used him in a mighty way. And if God can use David, I believe God can use us. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He never changes. So he's always relevant. His word is timeless. So if he did it then, he's going to do it now. He's going to use imperfect, unlikely people to do his mighty work here on the earth. I kind of want to run through a list of some names that you probably recognize from the Bible and show you some of the flaws of these people, but yet God still used them. Jonah. Jonah was called by God, but he was reluctant, and he ran from God. Abraham. He was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was insecure and a liar. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Gideon was poor and afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Samson liked prostitutes. (laughs) Moses was a murderer and he spoke with a stutter. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked for three years. John the Baptist ate bugs. Jeremiah was depressed and emotional. Naomi was a widow. Peter was impulsive, hot-tempered, and even denied knowing Christ. Martha worried. The Samaritan woman had many failed marriages. 
Zacchaeus was an unpopular tax collector and he was too short. Thomas doubted. Paul was thought of as too religious and he had poor health. Timothy was fearful, timid, and anxious about his youth. And Lazarus was dead. You get what I'm saying here? This is a pretty big list. And that's a, that's a short list. I mean, we could go on. But there's probably several things on that list that stood out that you can totally relate to. Maybe you're impulsive and hot-tempered. Maybe you've denied knowing Jesus. Maybe you've ran from him when you felt called. Maybe you're a widow. Maybe you're too old or you have poor health or you're anxious or whatever it would be. One of, some of us, can, all of us can relate to something on this list. I know that I can. I mean, I hope no one has preached naked for three years. But besides that, we can all relate to something on this list. But God uses unlikely people. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. God does not call the qualified. Rather, he qualifies the called. God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. What do I mean by that? When he calls you, he's not just going to set you on your way to do what it is that he's calling you to do and be like, good luck. No, he's with you. He empowers you. He graces you. He anoints you. He equips you. He qualifies you to do what it is that he's calling you to do. And, and when we read there in Samuel, said that David was anointed and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and was with him from that day forward. What was that? That was his qualification. The spirit anointed him to do what he was calling to do. Because on, on his own, David couldn't have done those things. Any of these people that we've mentioned, we see that they're flawed and perfect people. They were only able to do what they did because God qualified them. He graced, anointed, and empowered, and equipped them to do those things. And so when I say that God qualifies you, that's not like a free pass. That's not like, okay, there's certain things I don't have to do because God qualifies me. For example, if you feel called to be a college professor, you're not going to be able to go to some university and apply for the job and then be like, God qualified me. I mean, you're still, you're still going to have to have natural qualifications. You, you need to have a degree. You need to have the certifications. There's certain roles in life. You, just, you have to be qualified. But when I say that God qualifies us, I'm talking about our nature. I'm talking about our imperfections. I'm talking about our weaknesses. He is our strength when we are weak. He's the one who helps us do what it is that he's calling us to do. He will qualify you when he calls you. And being called by God in no way speaks of our perfection, but rather reflects his goodness his mercy, and his grace toward us. Now here's where we're going to shift gears. We're going to kind of amp it up a bit. We've kind of even the playing field. We're all sinners. We're all imperfect. And I shared the good news that God died for us. He saved us. He didn't come to judge us. And in fact, he even wants to use unlikely people like you. That's all good news. But now we're, we're going to switch gears a bit because we can't just settle at that. We can't just settle Okay, I'm a sinner. I sin. It's what I do. He still loves me and wants to use me. Yes, that's true. But I believe while he doesn't call us to be perfect, he does call us to grow. He's not expecting perfection. But our spiritual growth, our spiritual progress has to be our main priority. There's things that we have to do in the natural. He's going to qualify us and empower us with his supernatural. But we have a big job to do and the natural. And so that's kind of what I want to cover with you guys today. I have three things that I believe make up our part. If we want to be used greatly by God, there's some things we're going to have to do. The first of those is that we would strive to live righteously. Strive to live righteously. We have to make effort to do that. We can't just settle for the fact that we're sinners 
and say, oh, well, his grace cleanses me. That's all I need. We, we, we got to realize that the same power in that grace that cleanses our sin is the same power that allows us to be free from the power of sin. Okay, so not only does it cleanse us, but it enables us, it empowers us to be better and to not have to lose to that power of sin. Pastor Tim has taught us that while grace is opposed to earning, we can't earn his grace or his love or his forgiveness. Grace is not opposed to effort. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin. Has set you free from the law of sin. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Run away from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. We've got to be committed to pursuing righteous living. Again, not perfection, but growth and effort in the right way. If, if you're trying and you, you keep slipping up and maybe it has something to do with the people you're around, maybe it's time to find a new group. Maybe there's certain things that you have made allowances for, certain things you watch or listen to, and then you find that those are tripping you up. Well, maybe it's time to cut that out. We've got to feed the right things and we've got to starve the wrong things. And so in each one of your lives, there's something that you probably need to cut out and there's probably something you need to add. And I'm not here to tell you what that is, but I'm just encouraging each and every one of us to look at our lives, to take stock, look at our priorities, and what do we need to adjust so that we can be positioned to pursue righteous living. Strive to live righteously. Part two is this, that we would be committed to seeking and discovering his will. Committed to seeking and discovering God's will. Now, I believe too many people stress out over this one. A lot of people want God's will, but they're so afraid of missing God's will that they don't do anything. We're, we, we're thinking that God's going to speak to us, thus saith the Lord, this is what I want you to do, through hearing his audible voice. Or we're expecting writing on the wall or some supernatural sign that just confirms this is God's will. Now, has God communicated that way before? Yes. Will he again? I'm sure. But I believe most often that's not how it is. But we sit around expecting something like that, and we almost use it as an excuse to be lazy. We don't do anything. We're afraid of missing his will, and we just, out of fear, we just kind of sit stagnant. I think a, a good example of an area where a lot of people miss it when it comes to God's will is marriage. A lot of people view that there is the one, Okay? That God's made one person for you, that perfect person, the one. Well, so many people stress out over that. They're so afraid of marrying the wrong one that they spend life lonely. They never find anyone because they were looking for the one. I don't think God puts that kind of pressure on us. For example, if I married the wrong one, my wife Katie, then that means Katie married the wrong one. And so if we married the wrong ones, then that means the people we were supposed to marry married the wrong ones. And so on and so on, all right? Then it gets more complicated because then reproduction starts to happen. Now there's children which were never supposed to have existed. You see what I'm saying? That kind of pressure, we can't bear that upon us. And that's just an example of where many people, uh, many people overthink God's will or are so afraid of making the wrong choice that they don't make any choice. But I, I believe there's two keys that are very critical in us discovering his will for our life. That first key is to get close. To get close. Got to get closer. If you want to hear a whisper, what do you do? 
you get close. My, my boy, he, he's at that age where he loves secrets. He loves whispering. A lot of times, maybe what he's saying doesn't make sense, but he loves telling secrets. And, and I'll be sitting on the couch, and sometimes I see him peek out of his room. And I know he's like wants to tell me something, but he's, he's whispering. Either he doesn't want Katie to find out, or it's just, you know, he's just being a little boy. And I could sit where I'm at and try and make out what it is that he's telling me. Or I could take that moment, and I could get over by him. I could get down. I could get close to him. And I could hear what it is that he's trying to say to me. So if you want to hear a whisper, you've got to get close. If you want to hear God, the same is true. You've got to be close to him. You've got to spend time in solitude. You've got to spend time in his word. The number one way he speaks to us is through his written word. But don't just read it, but allow it to speak to you. Allow it to speak to you. Take that time to get closer to God. I think so many people live your life frustrated because you are unclear of what the will of God is. And your day flies by, your agenda, so much going on. And then at night you lay down, your pillow hits, or your head hits the pillow. And you're frustrated because you're like, what is God's will for my life? Well, look back at your day. What time did you carve out to get close to him? What time did you make to actually get close and to hear that whisper? And I'm not saying it's this mystical whisper, but the principle is true. If you want to hear God, if you want to discover his will, you've got to get closer. The second key to discovering his will is this. If you want to find out, you have to step out. If you want to find out, you've got to step out. Got to step out. Going back to what I was talking about, about we get so afraid of missing God's will that we just don't do anything. That's what I'm talking about. A lot of you may have prayed about a situation and you're not quite sure how to proceed. And you're sitting stagnant. Well, guess what? Maybe it's time to take a step of faith. Maybe it's time to step out and see what God does. Maybe you've been praying for movement in your life and you're not seeing it. Well, then maybe it's time for you to move. I don't mean pack up your house and and get out of town, but I mean like be proactive. Step out. Don't be afraid of making a mistake. Um, The Bible talks about how God opens doors that no man can shut and he shuts doors that no man can open. And I believe that that's a very real way that he can speak to us in our life. As we step out, and kind of find out what it is that God wants us to do, we're going to be able to tell real quick, okay? Because if doors start closing and nothing's going right, a lot of times that may be a sign that God is saying, you know what, hold up, I've got something better for you. And then maybe you step out and it's just like, boom, all the doors are open, all the lights are green, the right people are coming across your path, there's opportunity and favor upon you. Maybe that's a way that God is confirming, yes, you're, you're in my will. But really, you're never going to know until you step out. If you want to step out, you've got to find out. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Step out and trust that God will guide you. And you'll find that you discover as you do. We have to be committed to seeking and discovering as well. The third thing is this. Live righteously. Seek his will. Then we have to get to a place where we redefine some things in our life. Our outlook affects our outcome. And the way we look at things is related to what we think, what our mind is on. And so our definitions of certain things, if they're off, that's going to affect the way we think, the way we look at life. It's going to affect a lot of things. So I believe it's important that we have good, clear definitions of certain things in our life. And the first thing that I believe we need to redefine is this. We need to redefine ministry. We need to redefine ministry. If I were to pull you this morning and, and ask you, what does ministry mean to you? 
I, I think probably like eight or nine out of ten would say that ministry, your answer would have something to do with full-time vocational ministry, whether it be a pastor or a missionary or whatever it would be. The, the answers would probably be something along those lines. But what if I were to tell you that's wrong? We, as children of God, are created in the image of God. And so therefore, people can see God through us. And each and every one of us, regardless of your career, your position, your status, you have a realm of influence. You have a platform. You have a circle of people that you come in contact with on a regular basis. And I believe that you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. They may never step foot in a church on their own. They may not come across a pastor or a missionary, but they see you every day. And you're a child of God, and what is your life speaking to them? And I'm not saying we have to shove the gospel down people's throats, but I believe when they see the fruit in our lives and the difference and the joy and the peace that comes upon the children of God, that is our mission field. Every one of us can be in full-time ministry. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So maybe you're a coffee barista. Maybe you own a, a lawn crew. Maybe you're an insurance agent, a stay-at-home mom. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of people in here, probably a lot of different careers represented. What's your heart fixed on? Are you doing it for the glory of God? Are you doing it to bring glory to Him? And realizing that in doing so, He's given you a platform, and that can be your ministry. You are gifted to do what he's called you to do. Every Christian, regardless of specific assignment, is called to grow in Christ-likeness and is called to grow in godliness. And you don't have to be a pastor or a ministry leader to serve Christ significantly. So we've got to redefine ministry. The second thing we need to redefine is success. Success. I believe if we were to look at Hollywood or entertainment for our definition of success, it would be extremely skewed. Because it has everything to do with status and material possessions. And it would have something to do with your title or how big your house is, how much money you have in the bank, what kind of car you drive. And I believe success really has nothing to do with that. Titus 2 verses 9 and 10 says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And so you might be saying, why is he reading a verse about slaves? Well, that that passage makes it very clear that even the slaves, if they lead their life in the right way, they can make Christ attractive to others. What am I getting at? A person doesn't have to have high status to have positive influence. You don't have to have high status or a bunch of material possessions to have influence and impact in people's lives. I don't care if you own a bank or you clean toilets. It's not based on status you can still have big influence. I believe success is more so about this. First, it's about character. Because your position doesn't define you, your character is what defines you. And however your position changes, however your status changes, whatever happens with your material possessions, your character is the one thing that you have the power to keep control on and that won't change. Joseph's a perfect example. He was sold into slavery, then he was a prisoner, And then ultimately, he ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. That never had anything to do with his status or his possessions, but really had everything to do with his character. He had integrity, 
God saw that and ultimately he was rewarded. But his success was not based on his position or his status. The second thing that makes up success is gratitude. Gratitude. Being grateful. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, Better what the eye see than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you do not have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And too often we focus on what's out of reach, what's out of our grasp, the things we don't have rather than the things we have. The things we're expecting God to do rather than the things that he's done or is doing right now in your life. And I believe we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful. You want to be successful? Be grateful. Character and gratitude, that's what success is about. Even Jesus says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? The third and final thing that we need to redefine in our lives is we need to redefine our mind. And you may say, well, grammatically or functionally, that statement doesn't really make sense. This is what I mean by that. We need to change the way that we think. We need to change the way we think. I just said our outlook affects our outcome. We've got to guard what our mind is focused on. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind changing the way you think, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And renewal of the mind, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. Renewing. It's an ongoing action. And every day you have the choice before your feet hit the floor that you would renew your mind, that you would choose, you know what, today, regardless of what temptations, worries, circumstances come my way, I choose to focus on the things of heaven and not of earth. Things that are good and not evil. Things that are pure and not perverse. And I believe if we can get a grip on the way we think, if we can get a grip on our mind, it's going to change our perspective and it's going to allow us to see God more clearly and discover his will for our life. So just in a real quick recap, I told you God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Every one of us. But too often we look at ourselves as disqualified or we're not good enough. We're sinners. Well, guess what? We're all sinners, okay? It's an even, even playing field, and God uses imperfect, unlikely people. But it doesn't stop there. We've got to step it up. We've got to do the work in the natural and realize he paid the ultimate price for us. He wants to use us. Now, what are we going to do for him? Let's step up. Let's do our part to live righteously, seek and discover his will through getting close and stepping out And then redefining some very key things in our life. Ministry, success, and the way we think. And I believe that as we do so, we set ourselves up to be used by God. We begin to see Him more clearly, hear Him more clearly. He's going to birth new dreams in you. Maybe dreams that you had which have died, they'll begin to rise up again within you. Birthing new passions. And so today, whether you're in a successful career and you say, you know what, I totally feel like I'm being used to do what God's called me to do. That's awesome. I think there's even more he wants to do. And you may be at the other end of the spectrum and you're like, I have no clue what I want to do. I'm at the bottom. I I, I don't know what I want to do in school. I've messed up. I'm off track. Wherever you land today, God wants to use you. Apply these things, do these things, and I think you'll be amazed at what he does in and through you to impact this world. Did y'all get anything out of this today?